going to continue, uh, if you have your Bible, you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, I want to continue on, on this passage of Scripture found in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. We're going to be focusing today on verse 11, 1 Peter 3, 11. Last couple of uh, weeks, I, I talked about don't forfeit your blessings, and then we talked about having the right ingredients and, uh, you know, and it's, I made the comment that it doesn't matter how good the chef is, if the ingredients are terrible to, in, the, in the recipe, the product is going to be terrible. But if you have a good recipe, and all the ingredients are amazing, if you follow the instructions, it's going to turn out fantastic. And, and that's why First Peter First uh, Peter three ten was trying it was talking about about having the right ingredients in our lives of love and joy and peace all of the things that God allows us to to have in our lives of course to have them in our lives we must first take some of the things out uh, I remember our, our the very first church that I pastored we started a church. And it was in uh, Jacksonville, Arkansas, of all places. And I remember, I don't know, we were meeting at the Ramada Inn at a, in, a, in a room. And we had to get there early every week to make sure all the beer cans and all that was taken out uh, so we could set up the chairs and have service. Uh, I had a, one of my daughters who was little, and, and she loved it because... Um, you, when you went, she said, that's the only church I know that had a swimming pool. <laughs> so, but anyway, one, one day we were getting, we had about 40 people coming and then everybody, I mean, not just some people, I know we have a lot of people out with the flu, but every single person outside of my immediate family called and said, we're not going to be there. And Nancy said, what do you want to do? And me being the young, enthusiastic pastor that I was, I said, we're going. So we get there, and it's just us. There's no musicians. There's nobody there at all. And in walks our district superintendent's wife. And if I was wise enough, I was smart, I would have just sat there and chatted with her. But I was young and fresh out of college, and, and I had prepared for a sermon. So bless her heart, she had to listen to it. And after preaching to her and my wife, and neither one of them needed it, we sat down and started talking. And she said something to me that was so profound. She said, Jesse, I... I heard this when I was young and her, her husband was young and she said I wrote it in the front of my Bible and I happened to bring that Bible with me today and it was simply this she said a 30 year old person is like a densely populated city before you build something new you must first tear something down and I, I have taken that as, as a rule of life. And it's true in our own lives with God. We, we 
build so many monuments in our lives and and many of them are focused on ourselves or how we think life should be or how we think life should go or how we think we believe we want we do and a lot of things that we have in our lives are, are, are baggage or residual from our childhood. If you came from a, from a family that wasn't, uh, that wasn't focused and it, and it was in disarray, you are going to have some baggage that you're going to have to deal with at some point in your life. And when you come to Christ, especially if you come to Christ later on in life, you still have those issues in your life. And before God can put his qualities in you, you must be willing to let go of others. Have you ever met somebody that had unforgiveness in their life? And that unforgiveness was a monument they had built in their life, and the love of God was just absent in their daily walk. Why? Because they first need to tear down that unforgiveness. And then they can receive the forgiveness of God and forgive others. It's an amazing thing, this, this thing we call life. It's, it's one of those things that we are in a constant state of change. That the, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit working in our life, a lot of times we call it sanctification, but it's the ongoing process of the work of Christ in our lives. Paul said it this way, that I'm confident of the very thing, that he which has begun a good work in us will perform it, or will continue it, until the day he returns. Philippians 1.6 Red Ock version. Uh, but the, the point is, you are in a constant state of change. That the Holy Spirit is working on us and molding us and shaping us. And we have a part to play in that. This is what Peter, in First Peter 3, he says, finally, and, and he's like every other preacher, he still has two and a half chapters left to go. Uh, so in closing, you have another 45 minutes. Uh, but Peter says in 1 Peter 3.11, he's talking about all the things that we can do to live a prosperous, good life. All of us want to live a good life. He says, let him, him being the individual, the person, man, woman, boy, or girl, let him turn aside from evil, let him seek peace and pursue it. You say, well, well, that's not a, a very long sentence, and it's not. But there are some dynamics in this one little verse that can revolutionize our lives. And he starts off with this. Let him. That's an imperative. That's an active verb. Let you. You do it. You have to be the one. God is not going to force you. God's not going to push you. God's not going to grab you by the hand and march you down the aisle. I remember uh, when, when uh, Miranda was real little, she decided that we were in church and she was spraying, pretending like she was spraying uh, a pledge on the back of the pew because she was cleaning them during service. And Nancy told her, 
you need to knock that off and stop it. So she kept doing it. She said, if you don't stop it, I'm going to take you out and spank you. This is back when we spanked children. Uh, so she's, she's like three years old and she keeps doing it. So Nancy grabs her by the hand and war- marches her down the aisle and she started screaming, pray saints, pray, she's going to beat me. <laughs> so, uh, God doesn't do that to us. God doesn't grab us by the... In this context, God will provide opportunities in your life that you can see things that are coming, but it's up to us. We are the ones that have to act. We are the ones that have to take action. The Proverbs tells us that the wise see destruction coming and turn aside, but the foolish go head on. We have a choice to play in this. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, with every temptation, he will make a way of escape. God's going to give you a door or open a window. Little baby Levi. Uh, We've been praying for him, haven't we? Yes. We'll get to him in a little bit. God will open a door. He'll, he'll, he'll open a window. But it's up to us to walk through that door. It's up to us to climb through that window. God will give you a way of escape, but you have to see it and take action. And look, it is our responsibility. We have a free will to do what is right or to not do what is right. Look what Peter says. Let him allow him, you, turn aside. Turn aside, that's usually a quick swerve to avoid something. You're trying to to get out of the way. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to swerve out of the way because a a dog or a deer or something ran in front of your car and you you saw it and you took action and you swerved out of harm's way? That's what uh, what Peter is telling us, that... When it comes to evil, when it comes to the things in our lives, we are the ones that take the action. We are the ones that turn aside. But before you can turn aside, before you can swerve, you have to be, have the ability to see it, to identify it before you swerve. You're not going to just drive down the road and just swerve just because there's nothing there. You have to see what's in front of you. And then once you see it and you identify it, then you can take action. You have to see the object in front of you. Several years ago, about 10 years ago, uh, in, in Sonoma, uh, California, there was a young girl who was going to Sonoma State. She was a, you know, top of her class. Uh, she was the captain of the volleyball team. Great young lady. I mean, stellar. Went to church, focused on, on all the good things in life that you would consider that would be noteworthy. And yet one day, she was texting while driving. And she tried to look at a text, and it took just that long and when she looked up, there was a mom and a little baby in front of her. And she took both of their lives. And now her life is ruined. And their life is ruined. Because 
she was distracted from what she should have been doing. Evil or bad can come in our lives and, and it, it will disguise itself a lot of times as, as, as something that is good, as something that is harmless, something that is justifiable. But the reality is when, when we are distracted, we will not see evil step in our lives. And it's the devil's goal. It's the devil's opportunity to put anything or everything in your life. It doesn't have to be bad. Texting's not bad. Well, sometimes it is. Uh, we have a family text. Keep in mind, I have a family full of girls. I was in a, a meeting in my office and I had my phone on vibrate because I don't want to hear the ding all the time. And it, and they, it lit up. The family text was lit up, and it was so fast that my phone almost vibrated off the top of my desk. It, it's amazing. You know, but texting is, is amazing. I love to communicate with text. But if you're driving and you're texting, does it, does it annoy you when you're at a light and it turns green and the person in front of you is doing this doesn't it get you and if you say well well pastor you're talking about me i hope you stop uh i love i love texting i don't text while i'm driving and the reason why i don't text while i'm driving is simply this it distracts me from what i'm supposed to be doing and if you can't see what's ahead of you and it's the devil's opportunity it's the devil's job to put something anything in your life that will distract you from seeing God's real purpose in your life in, in 2nd Samuel chapter 11 you see the story of David and in and David is king, David is ruling and reigning, and there is a phrase in 2 Samuel 11, 1 that is so powerful. It says this, at a time when kings go forth to battle, in the spring, that's when you went and fought, at a time when kings go forth to battle, David tarried. David stayed home. At a time when he should have been leading the armies of Israel, he sent somebody else to do his job, and he stayed home. The Bible doesn't say why. We don't know what was in his mind. We don't, we don't know if he was tired. We don't know if he, he decided he got to a place in his life that perhaps he felt like he was better or knew better and he could send somebody else maybe he he felt that the armies were so strong that they didn't need him we don't know what the distraction was we don't know if it was texting we don't know what was in his life but we do know this when he was distracted 
and not doing what he was supposed to be doing, that's when evil came into his life and he was on the rooftop, looked over, saw Bathsheba taking a bath, decided he wanted her and committed adultery, which led to murder. None of that would have happened if David would have not been distracted with the things in his life. The adversary longs looks for ways to get you distracted. He doesn't have to get you to, uh, to commit a, a great sin. He doesn't have to get you to, to do anything really, really horrific. All he has to do is get you distracted away from an eternal perspective. And as long as your eternal perspective is skewed and you, and you begin to focus on, on this temporary perspective of the earth and earthly perspective and, and the things of this life that's when he can roll things into your path and you will not see them until it's too late Peter goes on in 1 Peter 5 8 he says this be careful watch out for the attacks from the devil your great enemy He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking, looking for someone to devour. Mark it down. Peter is talking to the church, and he said, watch out. Be aware. Be alert. Be vigilant. Don't allow anything to distract you. The adversary is out there. He hates you, and he wants to destroy you. He wants to take your life and twist it and, 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 and get you to a place where you are no good for anybody. That You, you will ruin your family. You will ruin your, your relationship with others. That You will ruin everything around you because you're so focused on something else that he has the opportunity to bring evil in your path be careful he's looking for ways to get your eyes off of the eternal perspective looking forward to a, in a, a, an eternal world view where you, where you know that Christ is going to rule and reign and you're going to live and rule and reign with him so you say Okay, I know that the adversary is wanting to do that, but how? How do we overcome that? How do we keep our eyes focused on God? And I'm so glad you asked that. Because <laughs> the second part of that verse says this. Let. Allow. Same one that says, you know, let and allow. It's up to us. It's an imperative. It's active has to be intentional if you want to have a life that where you can swerve out of the way of the adversary's schemes and make your way to where God wants you to be it has to be intentional you have to be active God won't make you the devil can't make you he is just trying to get you distracted so you'll have a train wreck of life but the reality is if you keep your focus Keep your eternal perspective. And you say, well, how do you do that? Well, there are a lot of things you can do. Praying is very good. Anybody ever prayed before? 
Reading your Bible? Well, that's a good one, too. Um, Somebody asks, well, what version do you use? And I say, all of them. Uh, Serving? They say, well, how can serving keep my eyes on the goal? I know prayer, because I can tell God all the stuff I want. And reading the Bible, because I can read it and interpret it the way I want. But how about serving? Serving is important. Because when you serve... It's not about you. It's about somebody else. Isn't that amazing that Jesus, the Savior of the world, didn't come as king, didn't come as the authority, didn't come as anything else but a servant. He became a servant to serve. And there's an amazing comprehension that we can we can grasp not just with our mind but with our heart as well that when we serve not for the eyes of man but we serve as unto the Lord there's something that transforms in us that your eyes are opened and you see the reality of life that that this life is not about the things that you can attain. It's about how many people you can bless. And there's not a greater feeling in the world when you know that you have blessed somebody else. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, One of the things I used to like to do is as uh, they all had in California, they had the toll booths. They didn't have the drive-throughs at one time. This is this is really way back when when you had to use cash. I know, who knew, right? But you'd go through and you'd say, "I'm going to pay for the person behind me." So you'd drive off, and you could see them in your rearview mirror. Like, why did they do that? It, it's amazing. It's so much fun. It's just so much fun blessing people that, that don't know you. I, I'll tell you another one that's really great. Blessing somebody and they don't know where the blessing comes from. I love doing that. I love doing that. It, it's important. But being a servant, we have to be intentional about prayer. We have to be inter- intentional about reading our Bible. We have to be intentional about living this life of servitude to Christ and to others. Here's what, what Peter says. He said, let them seek peace. Have you ever lost something? I mean, something of value? If it's something that you don't really care about, you're not going to look very long. You know, if you, if you have something that really is meaningless, you're not going to seek for it at all. But if you have something of great value, if you're in the grocery store and you drop a penny and it rolls, are you going to go hunt for it and pick it up? Or are you going to say, I'll get another? But if you lose your wallet, that's a different story. Peter is telling us that if you want to keep your eyes on the prize, 
if you want to stay focused on what God wants, if you want to be able to identify evil and swerve out of the way into a victorious life with Christ, you have to seek peace. Isn't that interesting? Peace. Look for ways for peace to reign. Now, a lot of times we want to be peacekeepers, but he's talking about being a peacemaker. There's a difference uh, because if you're a peacekeeper, there's already peace and you're just trying to maintain it. Wyatt Earp had a gun called the peacekeeper. We don't want to be a peacekeeper. We want to be a peacemaker. We want to be able to create peace. And he says you've got to look for it. You've got to passionately seek for peace. Seeking for peace in your life means that you can't have your way a lot of times. We look for ways for peace to reign. A soft answer, a lowly spirit, loving others more than yourself. Think of our greatest example of Christ who was born as a servant. I mean, it, it amazes me when I, when I think about Jesus on that last supper, how he took his outer robe off and wrapped a towel around and began to wash his disciples' feet. God incarnate. Wiping the feet of his creation. Have you ever considered how much humility and yet Christ's whole life was about bringing peace he could have called 10,000 angels to deliver him from the cross he could, he could have changed he chose the way of peace reconciling our sins on the cross being a peacemaker will cost you being a peacemaker does not come without a price. I'm going to give you five quick characteristics of a peacemaker. Number one, peace rules in their heart. You can't be a peacemaker if you have anger in your heart. You can't be a peacemaker if you have jealousy in your heart. You can't be a peacemaker if your heart is not right with God. You must first understand the peace of God which goes beyond all of our understanding and comprehension and allow that to rule and reign in your life. It's easier to forgive and it's easier to seek peace when you realize how much it cost Christ for your own peace. When you realize that it's not about you, it's about others. So allow peace to rule in your heart. The second one is this. Peacemakers are active. They're not passive. They're not sitting back and waiting. They are actively engaged in trying to have peace. Peacemakers are gentle. Jesus in the garden, Peter chops off the ear of, of the head priest's servant. And what does Jesus do? Boy, you deserve that. Now, Jesus reached down, 
I could see him picking up the ear, dusting the dirt off, and just putting it back on. Peace is gentle. So peace rules in their own heart. Peacemakers are active. They're seeking. Peacemakers are gentle. Peacemakers are resolute in the truth. They know the truth of the Lord. And they stay by truth. And the last one is simply this, that peacemakers are patient. They give God time to work. He says, seek peace and pursue it. So you seek it, but it seems to be running from you. Peace is kind of like a three-year-old when you're trying to get them dressed. You see them, you identify them, then you have to chase them down to get their clothes on them. Peace is kind of that same thing. In, in any situation, there is a moment of opportunity to have peace. There's a moment to act. There is a moment that, that you can step in and say the right word. You can have the right action. You can have the right conduct. You can have the right character. And you can take a hostile situation and create an atmosphere of peace. But that, that moment is fleeting. It's, it's only there for a moment and gone. And, and if you're not actively engaged in, in seeking peace, if you're not focused on what needs to happen, if you're just being passive and sitting back, that moment will be gone. And it will not come back. Seek peace. Pursue it. Carpe diem. Seek the, seize the day. Take the opportunity to be a peacemaker in your life. If you want to rid yourself of the evil things in this world that the adversary tries to throw in your life, that tries to distract you so you don't see them. If you want to have perfect 2020 vision, to be able to see everything in the road of life ahead of you, seek peace and pursue it. Because it's in peace that you'll find the perfect will of God for you. I'm going to ask our praise team if they would come back. I had the uh, really great opportunity and pleasure yesterday of, of uh, doing a reaffirmation uh, of marriage vows with Jose and Rosa. And it was incredible. I kept, you know, I had all of my notes, got them all down, and I thought, oh, this is really good, and I'd, I'd go through and change uh, some of the words to get some better adjectives or adverbs that made me sound a little bit better. And, and I had it all, and then I get there, and they have their own vows. So I'm standing there, I have my little book open like this trying to be as official as I can and they start reading their vows 
And within 30 seconds, there's not a dry eye in the room. Because both of them, in their commitment to one another, it was so passionate and so real and so loving that the display of devotion that each one of them spoke from the heart inspired me. It was easier to, to hear it and to understand it and to feel it because I know them and I know them well that everything they said they truly mean. And I started thinking about it and I, I was what has made their marriage work and what made their they put God first and they served one another. And that came through over and over again. If you want a happy life, if you want to see the traps of the enemy and you don't want to be distracted. Serve one another with passion and keep peace not only in your heart but in the relationships around you. If you do that, God is going to pour his favor and blessing upon you in ways that you cannot even imagine. After all, it's the ones that stood before the Lord and said, Lord, when did we do all of these things? When did we feed you? When did we take care of you? When did we provide for you? Lord, we don't remember. What I hear in that, in that conversation out of the book of Matthew is, is simply this, that they had such a passion for serving others and, and for developing an atmosphere of peace and love within themselves that they didn't even realize that they were blessing others. They were just living life there is a place in Christ where doing what is right doesn't have to be worked for this is what Peter is trying to explain to us let peace rule in your heart seek it pursue it take every opportunity to allow peace to live rule and reign in you and in those around you and the perfect peace of God will guard your heart would you pray with me